Well, good morning. It seems a little odd, but uh, Dave's encouraged us to uh, introduce ourselves. So my name is Harry Bicknell, and uh, I've been hanging out here for many years. But I, I'm one of the associate pastors here at Summit for the last year, and that is a really good thing. <laughs> you know, last Sunday, um, I had uh, a group of guys come over to my house to watch the conclusion of the Masters Golf Tournament, and we had a lot of food, too. And you know what? It was a lot of fun. I love watching the final nine at the Masters. I it's just my favorite tournament. But really, what makes it fun is that you're watching it with a bunch of friends who also love the game of golf. In a very real way, it's about having fellowship around a common interest. And the reality is, as many of you have fellowship with other people around a common interest. For example, on a Saturday night, a bunch of guys will often meet and go up to the rink and play some hockey. Sunday afternoons, I know there's some people who go out and play basketball. And the little family, they'll often uh, put kilts on and go out with a bunch of people who are, you know, dancing and playing bagpipes, but they throw stuff around. You know, they throw these logs and, and rocks. And, <laughs> and, they, and they have a great time with people who do that. But think of all the things that you have fellowship with other people. Maybe it's reading books or riding, riding mountain bikes on Thursday night, doing ministry together. You know, I suppose that... Uh, uh, Cliff and Pearl, you have a lot of friends now um, simply because you've done ministry together at the Haggai Institute. Those will be lifelong friends because you've done something together in common with another person. And the reality is, is fellowship, participation with other people around a good cause <laughs> or a good activity is such a really good thing. It's really what about friendships are all about, eh? We do things in common with other people and it enriches relationships. This morning, friends, we're going to talk about fellowship at a whole new level. In fact, the John, the Apostle John, is going to talk about a type of fellowship that exceeds all other types of fellowship that we might enjoy with other human beings. And without a doubt, John wants everyone to enter into his experience of fellowship. So I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to First John this morning. And yes, we begin a new series here this morning called Living in the Light. You know, if you have no Bible here this morning, uh, that you will find a text on a handout in your bulletin. And you know, if you don't own a Bible, you can go right over to the corner of our sanctuary and grab a Bible because they're there for the taking. We want everyone to have a Bible, and, and we encourage you to bring them on Sunday morning. And you know, since these letters were meant to be read in one sitting, we'd encourage you to take time maybe this afternoon and read right through 1 John. And in fact, do that every week because it's so important, I think, when we're studying one little particular passage to have the big picture in mind. And, and if you really want to go ahead and be really eager, read all of John's gospel as well, because so many of the themes in John's gospel are picked up in 1 John as well. So let's begin our new series now in, in John, 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. 
We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. When John penned these words about his personal experience with Jesus, he talked in terms, friends, of someone he had heard, someone he had seen, someone he had looked at, and someone who he'd actually touched. Yes, John could use the words heard and seen and looked at and touched because he had been with Jesus for three amazing years. These were life-changing years for the Apostle John. And what John wanted his readers to know and understand is that Jesus really did become a human being. He was not a ghost. In fact, he was really a man without ceasing to be God. And you know, John makes this very clear in the opening verses of his gospel where he says this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. This is the next slide. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Yes, God the Son really did take on human flesh without ceasing to be God. <laughs> and did you notice how Jesus was described in these opening verses here this morning? Jesus was from the beginning. In other words, he's an eternal being. This is the next slide here, Jordan. Jesus is also the word of life. In other words, he has life in himself. And Jesus is also eternal life. And here's the amazing thing. To know Jesus is to have eternal life. That's what John's gospel makes very clear. To know Jesus Christ is to have eternal life. And also this, this is really important. He was with the Father at one time before appearing on planet Earth. We call this, this big word, the incarnation. God becoming man without ceasing to be God. For John, this is a central truth that all Christians must affirm and we'll pick up on this theme as we go through 1 John. Furthermore, and I think this is really important, 1 John makes it so very clear that John and all his friends and the fellow apostles kept telling people about Jesus. This is their whole life. They were evangelists. They couldn't help but spread the good news about Jesus. The words like proclaim, did you pick up? It was found three times in the opening verses. Also the word testify found in verse support the fact that these first century Christians really did want to tell others about Jesus. And of course that begs the question, why? Why did they want to tell others about Jesus? And really the answer is so clearly stated in verse 3 where we read these words. We proclaim to you, says John, what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. There's that great word. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Friends, this verse so wonderfully informs us that we have what we have is fellowship with Christ. And it's simply this, we have fellowship with God, or more specifically, we have fellowship with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And if you want to be even more specific, we have fellowship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I say that because that's the broader testament, uh, testimony in Scripture. Look at 2 Corinthians 13, 14, reads this way. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the 
fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Yes, our fellowship is with the God who is revealed in Scripture as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know, friends, once again, it is really a good thing to enjoy fellowship with other human beings over a common activity, something that you really, really enjoy. Following this service, there'll be a group of people who end up at Tim Hortons. I, I, I call it the coffee club. They have fellowship together over simply talking. They probably talk over the morning service a little bit, too. What, what did that preacher have to say today? But they, they enjoy one another. And it's so good to hang out with people, enjoy common activities. But friends, the, the fellowship that John is talking about here takes fellowship to a whole nother level. For in fellowship with the living God, we find our true identity, the reason for our existence, the forgiveness of sins, strength, peace, hope, eternal life, and a firsthand experience of God's love for us. You know, in, in, in 1 John, we're going to come across this little saying, God is love. And John's going to say that two times. That's the essence of God. He is love. So Daryl Johnson rightly says, at the center of the universe, there is a love relationship that exists between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in Christ, friends, we are welcomed into this love triangle, you might say. When you invite a person to accept Christ, you are inviting them into this wonderful, wonderful love community. And that is why the Apostle John so wanted everyone to embrace Jesus. And so John proclaimed Christ with the goal of having others share in what he and other New Testament, Testament believers were experiencing, a love relationship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And now before I move on to verses 5 and 7, 5 to 7, let me just quickly say this. When people have fellowship with the living God, they are as well in fellowship with other people who are also in that relationship with God. And friends, that fellowship is called the body of Christ, the church of the living God. And it's a fellowship that transcends race and economic status and level of education and social status and gender and age and political preferences and everyday pre preferences because in Christ, friends, people become brothers and sisters in Christ. <laughs> and they begin to care for one another in very special and often wonderful ways. Friends, I want to say that in this community, I see people loving each other in extraordinary ways each and every week. Let me tell you a story that, that I experienced with the body of Christ when I was a new Christian. This happened 45 years ago, but I can still remember it so clearly because it so deeply impacted me. 45 years ago, I was traveling to Friedrichshafen, West Germany to attend a Cape and Ray Bible school called Bodenseehof. Do we have any uh, Cape and Ray grads here this morning? Way there. I, I think there's a few. I think there's a few who've been to actually Bodenseehof in West Germany. Well, anyways, I was on a flight from, I think, Montreal to Zurich, and I was reading a Bible, yes, that someone had given to me, a beautiful, beautiful Thompson Chain reference Bible. A boys' club leader had given it to me before I went on this adventure. And I was sitting there at an airplane reading this Bible when a complete stranger walked up to me and engaged me in conversation. He identified himself as a follower of Christ. Upon arrival in Zurich, he invited me and my friend to follow him. 
He said he would direct us to the train that we would need to take to the ferry terminal where we would board a ferry and go over to a little town called Fisbach, very near the Bible school that we were going to. For reasons unknown to me, he decided to join us on the train and take us to the ferry terminal, visiting with us all the way. He was probably 30, 35 years older than I was. And once arriving at the ferry terminal, we still had a couple hours to burn, so he says, let's go for dinner. And he took us, two complete strangers, out for this wonderful dinner to a Swiss restaurant. And yes, I had the inner snitchel. I can still remember that. <laughs> you know, as a rather new Christian at the time, I couldn't understand why a complete stranger would do that for us. But as I have learned, those type of things happen often when people are in fellowship together with the living God. For in Christ we become family, and as family members we begin to care for one another. Which leads me to point two here this morning. Fellowship with God leads to a living in a manner consistent with the character of God. In verses 5 to 7 we read, This is the message we have heard, heard from him, and declare to you, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, purifies us from all sin. In, in verse 5, John says that Jesus had taught them something very important about God, and it's simply this, that God is light. In other words, he's pure. He's perfect. He's utterly righteous. Yes, God stands in stark contrast to darkness, to evil, and to imperfection. And of note, in the Old Testament, God is often described in terms of light, and it's really interesting to know that in the New Testament, Jesus is often, very often, described in terms of light. For example, in John's Gospel, I believe there's 23 references to light. The word shows up 23 times. And 19 of those times, it's referring to Jesus. And I think my favorite reference is simply this. And I think some of you have probably memorized this verse, where Jesus says, Hey, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me... Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You know, I remember wrestling with that verse as a teenager because I was a little reluctant to give Jesus control of my life because I thought, hey, I'm doing just fine, and I don't want anyone to take away all the fun I'm having. Boyfriends, what an insult that is to the living Christ who brings you into life at its very, very best. And that has been my experience. Jesus is the light of the world. Follow him, and he'll lead you into truth and all that is good. And now back to the passage here before us. What John wants us to understand is this. Fellowship of, with God will lead us to live in a manner that is consistent with the character of God. Furthermore, you cannot claim to have fellowship with this God and live in solid darkness. That's just not possible because to be in a relationship with him is to have him influence you. It's to have his spirit poured in your heart and it begins to change you. Now, not to be understood, misunderstood, when John uses the phrase walk in darkness versus walk in the light, he, he is not saying that either person is totally given over to sin or the other person is totally given over to perfect righteousness. Life is not that black and white. But rather, John is describing two very different ways of living. 
one group of people who are walking with the God of light and another group of people who are saying no, are resisting the God of light. One group of people who are choosing darkness versus one group of people who are choosing light over darkness. Oh, not perfectly, because John's going to make it clear that no one in this room and no Christian ever could say, I'm without sin. Having said that, John is saying that fellowship with God will put you on a path. Yes, will put you on a path that will lead into Christ-like behavior. And when we fail in small ways or big ways, we confess our sins and we embrace the forgiveness that Christ offers us. And that's what John is trying to drive home at the last part of verse 7 there. Yes, the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. You see, walking in the light, light is really kind of a humbling experience. <laughs> We're imperfect followers of Christ, freely admit, I need the forgiveness that Christ offers. And I think it's most people experience is this, the longer you walk with Jesus, the more you'll see your need. It's not that you're going backwards, it's simply that he's exposing whole other areas of your life that need his light. And so we pray as we walk with Christ. Oh, Lord, forgive me. Create in me a clean heart. Yes, Lord, purify me from sins I'm not even aware of yet. And be assured of this, friends. If you are walking in fellowship with Jesus, you will one day be perfected. As Paul so wonderfully stated in the book of Romans, and I just love this verse. <laughs> For those God foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. Conformed to the image of his Son? Yes, that is our destiny in Christ. And in the words of C.S. Lewis, God will settle for nothing less. <laughs> to quote C.S. Lewis more specifically, he says this, you must realize from the outset that the goal towards which he is beginning to guide you is absolute perfection. So then I think it's really fair to say, fellowship with God will eventually lead us to living in a manner that is totally, absolutely consistent with the character of God. I think we need to live with this hope each and every day. Your spouse will one day be like Jesus. Your friends will one day be like Jesus. Maybe that fellow believer who just irritates you on a regular basis, keep in mind, that person will one day be like Jesus. Friends, we need to live with that hope and live into that hope. And now point number three. Fellowship with God leads to a right assessment of oneself and the practice of confession. <coughs> if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We must, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. In John's first letter, he is obviously dealing with some false teaching that was circulating in the churches in the first century, and you'll hear much more about this as we work through our series. And one of the ideas that he's dealing with is the idea that some Christians are claiming to be without sin or claiming that they have not sinned at all. For John, that idea is absolutely false. In fact, you know, John is a bit of an elderly person now, and I know that some elderly people get a little more blunt as they move along in life. 
They don't feel they have anything to lose anymore. Now, I'm not sure how that works together with the inspiration of Scripture, but here's what John says about people who think that way. If you think you have not sinned, you're deceiving yourself. You're lying to yourself, and the truth is not in you. John is very black and white. Although John certainly believes that we can, with God's help, gain a mastery over sin, at least in some measure, perfection will never be our experience. So I say walking in the light leads to a right assessment of, of oneself. Oh, yes, we're glorious creatures created in the image of God, capable of doing wonderful, wonderful things, but at the same time, at the same time, we're also creatures who are broken with our propensity to self-centeredness and sin. And so God gives us something we can do when we sin in word or in deed or when we fail to do the good we know we ought to do. And that something, friends, is confession. For John, I believe he's saying it should become a way of life for us. It should be easier for us to apologize now to other people because we understand that confession is a way of life for us. And I I know someone's saying, you know, "Well, well, Pastor, you know what? If you're forgiven for your past sins and your present sins and your future sins when you embrace Christ for the very first time, and see, I, I believe that. So why should you go on and keep confessing your sins? And I would simply say it this way. First of all, because we keep on sinning, at least to some degree. And secondly, because John teaches us here, and he's teaching Christians, and he's telling Christians to confess their sins. It's part of your spiritual journey. And you know what? Jesus teaches the same thing, doesn't he, in the Lord's Prayer where he says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. It's part of our spiritual journey. And in my understanding, confession of sin is a way of keeping one's relationship with God vibrant and alive, much like your relationship with your spouse. Or when you're cold or indifferent to your spouse or you said something inappropriate, you apologize and it renews your relationship. And the same thing can be said for our relationship with God. Sin builds walls. Confession brings the walls down. Hmm. Fourthly, fellowship with God is made possible by what Christ has done and continues to do for us. Two more verses here. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but get this, but also for the sins of the whole world. I think I'd be truthful to say that the second part of verse 1 is my favorite concept in the whole Bible. But let me begin with the opening part of verse 1, where John says, My dear children, I write this so that you will not sin. And, And you'd wonder why this guy can call other adults my dear children. Well, he's old, and everyone's probably younger than him by this time in life. He's probably led these people to Christ. And he really, really loves them. John really loved the church. And most certainly John is saying here, I don't want you to go astray. I want you to resist temptation. But if you blow it, hey, we have someone who speaks to the Father on our behalf. And our advocate here, friends, is Jesus, the righteous one. As our advocate, Jesus prays to the Father. 
He asks that we won't fall into sin. And if we sin, he's praying that we'll confess it and get things right, right away. But more importantly, as our advocate, Jesus speaks to the Father in our defense, declaring us forgiven because we have trusted in him and what he did on the cross for us. And the Father keeps saying, yes, yes, yes. That was our great plan of salvation. Friends, when you blow it, Jesus is right there before the Father as your advocate. Look at verse 2 says. Yes, Jesus is our atoning sacrifice for our sins, but not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. On, ba- on the basis of what Christ did on the, for, the cro- uh, for us on the cross, we can have fellowship with the living God. Now, to more fully appreciate what Christ did, I, I think I should explain two things. Two things about God. Firstly, God is absolutely holy. Yes, he is light. There is no darkness in him. Furthermore, he abhors sin. He cannot ignore it. It must be dealt with. Secondly, we should understand that God is love. He truly wants to have fellowship with every human being that he created. So how can a holy God reconcile sinful humanity back to himself? And the answer is the cross of Christ. And in the cross of Christ, God's holiness and love come together. God's holiness is seen in the cross, and that's humanity's sin. Humanity's sin that isolates man from God are punished once and for all when Christ takes humanity's sin upon himself and receives the punishment our sins deserve. God's holiness is preserved. But we also see God's love in the cross and that we don't have to go there, but Christ goes in our place and receives the sin, the punishment our sins deserve. Yes, God loved us that much that he would send his son so we could be reconciled back to him. Friends, I cannot say this strongly enough. Christ's one-time sacrifice makes fellowship with God possible. Apart from what he accomplished on the cross for us, we cannot enter into fellowship with him. Furthermore, as our advocate, he continues to intercede for us in so many, many ways. Most certainly, he prays that our faith will stay strong and that we will resist temptation. Friends, we have an awesome Savior. There's my biggest understatement of the morning. We have an incredible Savior. Let me conclude. As I reflected on this passage for the last several weeks, it occurred to me that a song from the early 60s or 70s really summed up the Apostle John's passion to tell others about Jesus. The song was entitled, Pass It On. I'm sure some of you sang that in the 60s and 70s. Let me read a line to you from this song. That's how it is with God's love. Once you've experienced it, you spread his love to everyone, You want to pass it on. And that's why John proclaimed Christ to everyone he could. And you know, people are still doing that today with the same passion. I bumped into one of our members last week, and and she told me with a tear running down her cheek that since that series on loving God, she just can't help but tell other people about Jesus. And God is giving her amazing opportunities to tell others about Jesus. Friends, may that be true of all of us. May we so deeply understand what we have in Christ, we can't help 
but pass it on. As the worship team comes, would you bow with me in prayer? Father, you've given us so much in Christ. Thank you for the joy you give us, for the peace you give us. Thank you for the reality that we can know our sins forgiven and that we have eternal life. And thank you, Father, that through Christ we can enter into your love and experience it and taste it and even pass it on. Father, this week, give each one of us an opportunity to pass this good news on. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.